A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 150,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Douglas also offers other products like memory foam pillows, microfiber pillows, adjustable beds, mattress protectors. They're giving our listeners a free mattress protector plus 50% off of a different accessory every week and 15% off of all other accessories. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to take advantage of these offers. That's douglas.ca slash Canada Land. If you listen to Canada Land, you probably don't mind loud men with strong opinions. Canada Land has Jesse Brown. At Canada's National Observer, we have our lead columnist, Max Fawcett. And now he has a podcast. I'm frustrated by the relentless partisanship and the refusal to discuss things in good faith. In other words, I'm maxed out. You probably are too. That's why, in this podcast, I'm going to be inviting people to talk with me about my columns and ideas, even people who want to contradict me. Maxed out. In an age of polarization, one man tried to have a reasonable conversation. Sometimes it works. That's Maxed Out, a bi-weekly podcast which is part of Podcast Tuesdays at Canada's National Observer. Find us on iTunes and wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. You're listening to Canada Land Back, a co-production between Canada's National Observer and Canada Land. I'm your host, Karen Pugliese. The Land Back movement isn't just about getting land back. It's more than that. It's a reclamation of culture too. I wanted to dive deeper into this theory that land back and culture 
walk hand in hand. Nimki Ajbakan means Thunder Mountain. It's also a culture camp in northwestern Ontario. It sits tucked away amongst the pine trees, way off the number one highway, past towns, down a paved road that eventually turns into a gravel road. And if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't find it. Métis artist, activist, and thinker Christy Belcourt, along with Anishinaabe artist and knowledge keeper Isaac Murdoch, were among those who took land back and established Nimpi Ajibkan. We're going to hear more about that later. They've spent weeks and months there learning First Nations languages, participating in and leading cultural practices like traditional tattooing and moose hide tanning. Christy is known for her painting of beadwork patterns. She paints dots and creates intricate paintings depicting Mother Earth and animal and plant life on it. She just won an award for her subversive art that depicts activism. And with her permission, I actually have a piece of one of her paintings, Water Song, tattooed on my back. But I want to know how Christy went from artist to being part of the land back movement. In my own community's history, my people, my ancestors, were forced to, in some cases, leave treaty from the Michelle Band, the Papastris Band, and the Stragglers Band. And in other cases, they were forced to accept Métis script. And because the Métis people um, at that time written in history as half-breed people were not included, were excluded from the treaty process, um, Sometimes, uh, even even on record, to the chagrin of their relatives who were included in the treaty process, like Treaty 4, Treaty mm-hmm. 3, the Robinson-Huron Treaty, there's a few little references that persist in written history where people wanted to have everyone of their, you know, you want your nieces and nephews, your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, everybody included. And uh, and it was the treaty commissioners themselves who split the people according to race, racial divide at the time. Yeah, if I, if I can jump in there, it's one of those weird things in colonialism that somehow it was decided that First Nations would be the responsibility of the Crown and Métis would not be. Yeah, it was a hangover from the from European class divide systems and racial divide and what they believed about about white, you know, their own, with their own white supremacist um, views on on the world and on life and on other people, and so they were the ones who insisted that Métis people take what was called Métis script instead of the treaty. And so what happened was the script was individual tickets or checks, I suppose, pieces of paper that would entitle the bearer who was the heads of their family, to either 240 acres or 160 acres, which had to be farmed completely within five years or they would forfeit the land, or they could opt for $160 or $240, depending on what they were. Uh, I don't know what kind of formula they used to determine that. And so what happened was, through the process of Métis script, we do not now currently have ownership uh, under Canadian law of the lands that we live on in the sense of having it be for the community, by the community, held in perpetuity for all time. What we are is a municipality. And in the community where my dad was born and raised, Lac St. Anne in Alberta, that community now is forced to 
see some of its land being sold off to non-native people and the Métis community that was once a thriving Métis community is being uh, chopped up piece by piece and lots are being sold and it's no longer able to sustain. It is a Métis community, but it has to fight for every single every single square inch that's left. And um, this is the story that's repeated all over for Métis people. So my interest in land back was from the day I was born. My interest in land back comes mm-hmm. from this historic injustice. And then as you get older, you start to see that this happened everywhere. And that whether people were treaty, not treaty, whether people were status, not status, whatever the situation was, there's been a an effort. The very foundation of the country was built on land theft. And the entire wealth of the country is built on this land theft. And that what they wanted to do when Europeans first came over here was to, first of all, they set about exploring the country, not for uh, shits and giggles, but they they set about to explore the country to look for wealth. So part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you is I wanted to talk about getting culture back. And I made this comment that land back isn't just about real estate. And you challenged me on that. So go ahead. Yeah. So like the thing is, is that in a, once you live long enough, <laughs> you start realizing that if you if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, and and that's just the way it is. And if we if we uh, start to dilute the idea of land back into all of these other things, they're going to give us that, and we're never going to get land back. We have to focus and understand that land back means land back internally. We, I, I sort of see our struggle. We have eternal, internal struggles. We have external struggles. Our internal struggle is amongst our uh, and between our nations. It is within our nations and it is between indigenous nations. And this internal struggle that we have as a collective struggle is how do we see land back in practical terms and how will that play out? Knowing that sometimes our territories overlapped. Sometimes we shared territories. How does that play out now in a legal Canadian structure? And how do we do this without using the Canadian courts to to go through the things that we need to sort through? Mm-hmm. I see our culture back as being internal. This is something we worry about. We do. But then I see the external struggle as as the practical physical land back and how does that play out how does that look for canadians because when i think of of land back i'm thinking physically land back now if i had my way if i was able to wave a magic wand and see it happen it would be that that indigenous people had full authority over their lands and and i mean full authority over everything to do with their lands. And that means they're the bosses. (laughs) They're the ones uh, that our laws are the ones that that are are guiding everything, not Canadian law. Now, that, that scares people when you talk like that. So it's at the point where the courts have gotten where they'll say that you do have to consult and consider First Nations when you're going to develop on First Nations land. 
but, you know, they've fallen short of a veto. And the whole thing about the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and the idea of incorporating it into Canada came down to non-Native people, this fear that no might actually mean no, that First Nations or Métis or Inuit might actually have a veto. I don't know if it's land back if you don't have one. You're completely right. The, there's two things. So the the one thing is is about the is about the UN Declaration and and the the fact that there is no veto over resource development projects right now in Canada. Most people think that consultation indicates that there would be some kind of a well, some kind of a, a say, some kind of a a way to say no. And so you get bands and organizations in this really terrible position that they understand and most people understand that there is no way to say no. If you don't participate in the consultation process, the law says that it will default to the, it will say that they attempted to consult, right? So they've fulfilled their fiduciary responsibility for consultation with their attempt to consult. So if you boycott their meetings, they will they will still have fulfilled their fiduciary responsibility under Canadian law. If you um, go there and you say no means no, we say no development on our land. The people who are doing the reports only have the responsibility to write a caveat in the back that says dissenting voices, and these were their concerns. For example, uh, concerns over water, concerns over safety, concerns over whatever the concerns are of the people whose land it is, the, in the final report um, of the consultation report, all it has to say is descending voices had these concerns. They don't even have to say that the people said no unequivocally. So then on top of that, insofar as the government looks at those concerns and says, well, we can probably do a little bit of something to mitigate them. The courts have said that along with consultation, there has to be accommodation, and that's the accommodation part. And so they have to do some sort of accommodation to be legally allowed to go ahead. I think it's important for people to understand that a lot of these deals that we see where communities are split, often the people are giving in for a few reasons. One, they might be giving in because they're just tired of seeing their kids grow up in poverty. Kids without schools, kids without hockey rinks, kids committing suicide out of a lack of hope and desperation. So the community just says, well, maybe we'll just give in and we'll get some nice things, um, like a hockey rink in a school, and maybe our kids will be okay. So they've kind of got that in the balance when they're thinking about development. But the development is also going to happen anyway. No matter what they do, it's going to happen. So the most they can do is ask for some concession, some accommodation. Please protect the water as much as you can. Please don't disturb the land as much as you can. Please protect the animals as much as you can. And the government does do something to mitigate that. And then they're legally allowed to go ahead. So when we say there's no veto, I think it's just an important piece of understanding how things go ahead and how this consultation process works. Yes, and then how they use that. They use the differing opinions within the community, they use it against us. So for example, if you have some people in the community saying no means no, and no matter what, we don't want anything, because we've seen the example of what that's done for 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 us is it hasn't really helped very much 
it's a temporary Band-Aid on a gaping wound or, you know, a.k.a. the hockey rink or whatever it is, right? And then the other people are like, listen, they're going to do this anyway. We know they are. And so, therefore, it's better to, to you know, get a little bit at least instead of nothing. And I don't, you know, I understand that. I'm in the camp of no means no and keep your damn money and screw you. That's the camp that I'm in. Because at the end of the day, I see that these temporary things that they provide, the money gets spent on land claims. They never give land. They want to give money. That you know, It's very hard for that to be sustained when systemically there's so much uh, coming at the people all the time. But at the same time, I sympathize with with the people who have to make those decisions, and I understand why they do make those decisions. And I really feel angry at the fact that then when they do make those decisions, the government proudly, or whoever, the corporations proudly come out and sort of rub it in our faces and say, yes, but not all of your people think that way. And some have said yes, and some have signed on, you know, not realizing that they've you know, they've put us in this really terrible situation to begin with. But one of the things I wanted to say was, whenever you talk about land back, the very first, it's very interesting. I find it like just sort of as an observer, kind of a really funny, interesting thing that every time I talk about land back or somebody talks about land back, the first comment that will come out of some Canadians' mouths is, but where are we going to go? You know, it's almost like they picture like this scenario where all of a sudden Indigenous people are going to have all their land back and they're like, well, I can't go back to Europe. I'm I'm Canadian. I'm going to stay here. It's like, you know, I tell jokes about that and it doesn't help when I sit down and go, yeah, I've been checking out your house. and I'm kind of seeing where I'm going to put my stuff. <laughs> but but the thing is, this is such a ridiculous thing to think about. First of all, to you, went, you know, we're talking about. Um, justice. So we're talking about injustice. We're talking about land theft. We're talking about reparations. We're talking about land back. We're talking about all these things. And then that's the very first thing that that your mind goes to is, where am I going to go? Yeah. What about me? What about me? So I always try and remind people that 80% of land is considered by Canada to be crown land. So this is land that is, that is, uh, quote-unquote owned or or sort of uh, held in trust for the queen and and her heirs forever. This is crown land. That, that is 80% is considered federal land. Only 11% or something like that is considered privately owned lands in Canada. That is such a good point because even on my land claim, like our elders said we would never displace people the way that we were displaced. And so our land claim, the Algonquin land claim that I'm part of with Pickwocknagon, goes from Algonquin Park out to Ottawa, that area. Now, there's more Algonquin land than that, but the Algonquin nations have kind of divided up how we're claiming it. And so even within Ottawa, when we're looking at, well, could we get land back there? We're looking at crown land. We're not looking at a neighborhood where people are living. We're not looking at the glebe and saying, hey, those are some really nice houses. You know, we're looking at places that basically the land is not being used where it's being held by the crown. So I'm quite glad that you pointed that out. 
Yeah, because I think people just need to, you know, I always want to say, settle down. <laughs> like, you know, like, just, would you just, you know, relax for a minute? That's not what we're talking about. The land that the crown believes it owns. And I say that intentionally because that is not our perspective. That is their perspective. The land that they believe they own and that they currently control through laws, oppression, and the force of law through uh, policing. That that land that they believe that they own is 80% of all the land mass in Canada. When you look at what Indigenous people own, it's so minuscule. Even the reserves, even the reserve system is only 0. what, 0.2, is it? Or 0.02? 0.2. It's so small. And if you look down at the U.S., at the size of the reserves in U.S., they are huge chunks of territory. When lands were being set aside in Canada and the treaty making was going on and the reserves were created, well, first of all, reserves used to be bigger. But then they stole land off the reserve and the reserves became smaller. But also in those negotiations, they were very tight on the land because the European negotiators looked down at the states and they said, well, we don't want to leave Indigenous people with big chunks of territory like that, you know? People don't even realize that that under Canadian law, that that land is not that I agree with this, but that this is how it's pers- how it's written about in Canadian law within the Indian Act is that lands are set aside for the use of Indigenous people, not owned by. So even then, if you consider that, then you have to say that 100% of all the lands in Canada is what Canada believes it owns. 100%. And then if you question that there was land theft, you have to ask, who in their right mind would have given away 100% of everything that they own? This is why land back is so essential. We have to start to talk about the practicality of how those crown lands are going to become back into the, the ownership and control uh, of Indigenous law and of Indigenous people. And so, Christy... You and Isaac took some land back. Do you want to tell me about that? In 2017, uh, Isaac Murdoch, myself, uh, Mary Wemigwans, Linda Toulouse, these are elders, uh, Larry McLeod, he's an elder from Serpent River First Nation, Quinn Miwasagi, Taryn Bobby Wash, and uh, a number of other people. Well, first of all, we're all really avid language learners, and, and we're really committed to revitalization of language um, and revitalization of of land-based practices. Um, Isaac's been doing that for for many years. Uh, he's a really uh, good hunter, good bushman, and uh, we, uh, the rest of us, are are in the process of wanting to reclaim our traditional arts, our languages, and our our practices on the land. And so this was the catalyst for us to want to. Um, build a camp uh, where we could do that in a way that observed was more in in line with uh, seasonal calendars rather than the the, the nine to five uh, twelve months calendar, and so uh, we had to be on the land in order to do all of this. You hear elders say this all the time about language, uh, and they'll say things like, um, "We have to be 
out there doing things to remember the language. It'll trigger us to be able to talk about um, the practices on the land. So it's different than sitting in a classroom and saying, what do you call this action that I'm doing with a moose hide scraper and mimicking it as opposed to being there actually doing it. And then that, that triggers their memory. The conversations while working, while visiting is, is where you get the richness and the depths of where the language can go. So knowing this and being instructed by them and also the elders in, in the region where we, where we built this camp had been saying for a long time that they, that they wanted to see this type of thing. They wanted people to go back to the land and really it's not an exercise so much as reclamation of land as it is just simply returning to the land to do the things that we have always done. And in that is where we find our health, our vitality, our culture, our language, and where we can try and learn as much as we can and share that learning space with people so that our traditional knowledges will pass down for many generations to come. I'm glad that we spoke today and talked about consultation and development because so far, we've been looking at kind of historic cases where, you know, we were simply looking at just give us our land back. So I think looking at the legal part of it is something that was missing in the series and now is in there. So I'm really glad that came up. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I think most people get confused, like like what we were talking about, right? People just um, assume that land back is some kind of a pie in the sky sort of a fantasy world. It isn't. It isn't. Anything is possible. I mean, uh, even within Canadian law, it's possible to to come to some kind of uh, conclusion of of, of returning land. Uh, it's it's getting the people to understand there's a will to do it, and and also to take taking the fear out of it. You know, um, nobody's coming for anybody's houses. You know, it's possible to do it within the existing, what's existing. And, and it, 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 when you look at it, like 80% of land is, is considered crown land, you, you start to kind of think like, well, that's a little bit selfish, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we're struggling because we don't have our lands, you know, and it really affects our ability to be connected and, and the continuation of our culture. We struggle because of that. And, you know, to think that, that here's the crown hoarding. I mean, hoarding is such an important thing for our cultures. You know, I don't know of any Indigenous culture who values hoarding. And, and it feels like Canada's hoarding the land. Yes, that's absolutely true. Well, thank you. Okay, yeah, thanks. This has been great. I'm all fired up now. <laughs> that was Christy Belcourt, artist, activist, and member of the Métis Intelligentsia. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll be joined by Isaac Murdoch, who's going to give us his thoughts on the land and the return to culture. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 150,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Listen, I've experienced the Douglas mattress. I've, I've experienced a lot of mattresses for that matter, and that's all I'm going to say on, on the subject. But the Douglas is excellent. It is a comfortable mattress, and it is a mattress that is offered at a really reasonable price point. It is made proudly here in Canada it is made eco-consciously. The Ecolite cooling gel foam top layer uses up to 40% less carbon than traditional memory foam. 90% of the energy they use to make this thing comes from renewable sources. It's a mattress you can feel good about and feel good on and sleep well on, and that matters a lot. Douglas also makes great sleep accessories like memory foam pillows, microfiber pillows. They make an adjustable bed. They make a mattress protector. Listen, they're giving our listeners a free mattress protector plus 50% off of a different accessory every week, and you'll get 15% off of all other accessories. Have a look at this sleep brand. They've got great stuff at great prices. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to take advantage of these offers. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Christy's a good friend and partner in crime. Oh, okay. Well, maybe not in crime. I don't want to stereotype them. Partner in all things good and cultured. Isaac Murdoch is a knowledge keeper, a language learner, and one of the most famous First Nations people that you've probably never heard of. Isaac isn't the kind of person who's received a lot of media coverage, but if you know Isaac or know of him, then you know Isaac is an artist in his own right. What he calls doodles have come to represent land back movements, land defenders, and water protectors. One of his most famous doodles is of a Thunderbird woman with a red heart that says water is life. Anyone can download these images and use them for free as part of their activism. This can be found on their website, and we'll put that in the show notes. When I think about Isaac Murdoch, I think about the full life he leads, his art, his way of thinking, and his teachings. What will make us as Indigenous people 
whole again. I started by asking Isaac what land back means to him. To me, land back means for us as Indigenous people to return to the land in a sustainable way. That, that's what land back means to me. When you look at the, the history of our people since our creation stories, we've always had a beautiful, sustainable relationship with the land and waters. And that, you know, we had a very deep understanding of the code on how to live here. And so when I hear land back, that's what I hear is Indigenous people, you know, going back to the land, because the land is still there. So that, to me, in my mind, that's what I hear. Isaac, where did those values come from? I remember growing up listening to, to elders and ceremonies and things like that. And they would always talk about how the lands were stolen and how the prophecies always told us that we're going to be returning back to the land one day. And so I was always fascinated by these stories. And I, I thought that they were absolutely incredible, you know. And so they always say that our story as, as Anishinaabek people, as individuals, starts with our name. It starts with our path that we're given here on this earth. And that when we follow that sacred path, it's always on the land. That that's our true path as Anishinaabek people is, is on the land. How mazanapkin geego anabe indishnikas? Kinebe gokshibikaj wat ndontupa, gnoji ndodem. Ha anishinaabe nini ndao. Nimki hajbikang ninda. Ha gitinendam yayamampi. Um, you know, that's, that's how we start our journey, is by knowing who we are, where we're from, and what our true path is. You know, that's mm. so, so important. And so when I was growing up, that's what they always said was that our names connect us to the natural world or to the spirit world. And that's, those trails are often in the bush, and that's where we... We find out who we are. And so they always said that land back was a, a natural thing, that it's just a natural occurrence that'll happen. Because we know that the laws were broken. You know, we already know that they they broke the laws. You know, the the government broke the laws here. And as a result, a lot of the things have been destroyed. You know, like the birds and the animals and the fish, you know, the the Wesiwag, the Gigawag, Benesiwag, Nesewin, the air, Nibbing, the water, Anchinachigaswag, Kinagago, Anchinachigade, Mampiaking. You know, like even the whole earth is being destroyed now. And that the elders have a very important instructions for us to go back. Abdekwibiska being Anishinaabe, Atswa, Nikia to go back to to go back to our our ways of knowing and thinking on the land you know and that indigenous people all over the world are fighting to protect the lands and that's very important because as Anishinaabek people, this is where we're from. You know, Anishinaabek Kanakidaman. We're from here. 
We come from here. We're a part of this. We're a ecological species in our ecosystems. And so it's important to turn around and pick up our languages, to pick up our what was lost. You know, kapskabi and apnanan gaunitoying. Ah, kapskabi and apnanan enwaying. And that we must never let go of what we have. Gawingego and gasmigoing. Ginwen man pianjipayan. Anishnabekinakidamen. You know, so the elders talk like this. They they remind us that, you know, as an as an ecological species of our environment, we have a a responsibility. The same way that a bird has a responsibility to go into the forest and make a nest, you know, for the future generations, we have that same responsibility too. It's important because we can't mislead our children or have them conform into mainstream society to the point where they don't know who they are. So it's really important that we work hard to try to steward and uphold our responsibility to make sure that, you know, our families and our communities are part of the the ecosystems. And, you know, when you look at, at a beautiful forest, it's so diverse. And it's the diversity that makes it rich. But there's one thing missing, and that's Indigenous people. And so it's very important that we go back and be a part of our environment again, because we bring a diversity that's very important as stewards. Because in a very diverse ecosystem, everything gives everything to everything. And because we've been removed, the natural land and water protectors have been removed, everything's been open wide for resource extraction. And now we're in, of course, abrupt climate change and, and a severe ecological collapse. This is happening all over the world. This is just isn't happening here. So to me, it's, you know, land back is being part of the ecological solution. You know, they used to call us the Indian problem, you know, being a free people in our lands. And, you know, having our own government, having our own language, having our own sustainable economy. You know, all of these things was called the Indian problem because we were free, the Bedouin. But really, we're, we're not the Indian problem. You know, we're part of the ecological solution. Because when we're introduced back into our natural habitats, there is a great, great benefit. And it, it, start, it, it can actually stop the domino effect that happens you know, ecologically, when things start to fall apart. And so we are medicine to the land, and we need to go back. The land will heal if we go back. We will heal if we go back. That's what the elders always told me growing up anyway. So in what way are you helping the youth reconnect with culture now? So there's a whole, there's a team of us at Nipki Ajbakong, and, you know, there's a youth collective, you know, there's elders. So everybody's kind of doing really cool stuff. You know, there's like brain tan, uh, moose hiding stuff that goes on where the kids learn how to brain tan the moose hides. There's fishing, there's basket making, there's moccasin making, you know, and hat making, there's glove making, there's like just everything that you can think of, you know, generally goes on there. And, you know, there's culture camps that happen as well. So I'm facilitating, uh, I think, I have a few culture camps coming up where we take kids 
on the land and we teach them the plants and some of the the trees and the natural surroundings and the language. We introduce them back to the Anishinaabe Moan names of the places. We're going to really try to connect their spirits to the land as much as we can, you know, through language and land-based activities. Isaac Murdoch is an activist, artist, and activator of communities across the country. For more on both Christy Belcourt and Isaac Murdoch, I encourage you to check out the website, nimkiajbkan.com. You can find the websites I've mentioned in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Canada Land Back is a co-production between Canada's National Observer and Canada Land. It's hosted and produced by Karen Pugliese. That's me and producer Kim Wheeler. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.